Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. Welcome to the audio podcast of the webinar run on the 9th of September. Please note that there were some slides shown at this webinar and if you would like to look at those, they are available on our website at www.wessexlmcs.com. Thank you. So welcome everybody. It's nice to have you all joining us. Um, It's always a shame we can't see you, but we do know you're there. Um, Welcome to our practice manager webinar. So as usual, this is being recorded and we recorded as a um, recorded webinar because we've got some slides this time. Um, And as usual, please use the Q&A box to ask any questions, not the chat box. Please use the Q&A box because then we can answer them as we go. So today we've got a guest with us. So David Hodnett is joining us from NHS Digital. He's going to give us a presentation about the NHS app and some other things. Um, and is joining, uh, hopefully he's been joined by his colleague Kayleigh Buckley from NHS X, who's also going to add um, some insight from her point of view. So there's about a 20 minute presentation with 10 minutes for questions. And then um, Nigel and Carol and the team will lead us in our usual sort of half hour roundup of, um, of information that is happening at the moment. So David, thank you for joining us and I'll hand over to you. Wonderful, thank you very much for, for having me. And um, what I'm gonna do is just give you a whistle stop tour of w- what the app is, where it's come from, where it sits in the kind of ecosphere and then run you through the features of the app, how we can get people onto it. And then um, I'd like to spend some time answering all of your lovely questions. And um, the more difficult they are, the more I love it. So please do uh, start brewing up some interesting questions for me. So next slide, please. So Empower the Person is the portfolio that we sit within. And we sit across both NHSX, which is the technology and policy arm for technology, Um, from uh, DHSC and also NHS England and then we've got NHS Digital and we are doing the delivery and all of the research that sits behind it. We come together into one portfolio and it actually allows us to ping back the delivery and the policy arms very very quickly so that we can actually get things done as quickly as possible. Next slide please. So we have a lot of different programs that sit within Empower the Person and um, some of these are going to be changing very, very shortly. But you'll certainly recognise 111 online, NHS.UK. NHS login is the new service that allows us to verify identities, and I'll be taking you through that shortly. And that is a sister programme to the NHS app. Um, we also have um, programmes which are looking at PHRs, e-consultations, and onboarding. And we've also got the NHS apps library there. So next slide, please. We do have a roadmap of everything that we're working on at the moment as a portfolio. Um, it's updated quarterly and the link at the bottom um, of the presentation there, and I understand that the presentation is gonna be made available to you all. Um, so do go and have a look at everything that we've got up and coming. You can also comment about anything that you can see on the roadmap and get further information and you're able to just check the priority of things that we're gonna be working on. It's broken down product by product, so it's quite easy to follow. Um, and you can see what we've got and where we're going with it. Next slide, please. So, NHS app, where have we come from and what are we doing? So, it actually started with NHS Online, which was the forerunner to the app, and that was where local areas were commissioning their own health apps for their area. Uh, NHS Bexley had uh, a Hurley Group product um, that took people through online triage and then into an urgent care centre and then was also giving them health records. 
Um, there was the Orb up in Lancashire, and then there was a few others that were starting to spin up across the country. Um, at Expo 2017, the former Secretary of State for Health, Jeremy Hunt, stood on stage and gave us one year to come to market with one app for all of England. Um, so we went into what was termed a discovery phase. We had 12 weeks to pull apart the ask that had come down from Secretary of State. Um, I won't lie, we did spend quite some time rocking backwards and forwards, wondering how we're going to do this in one year. Um, but we then brought to Expo 2018 the alpha version of the app. So this is the version of the app that we were going, wanting to take forward. And of everything that was in the initial ask, there was two items that didn't make it in. The first is end-of-life care preference setting. Um, it's still something that is being asked about, and it is something that was going out for consultation from DHSC. Um, and the other was the surfacing of a personalized apps library where we would be able to read into a person's record, see that they are a smoker, and then recommend a smoking cessation app to them. Um, being able to query into records and things like that, the lawyers and the IG bods have an absolute nightmare. So that was scaled back and it is something that we do keep putting back onto the priority list and something that we'll circle back to. So, Kaylee and uh, the implementation team were fantastic when we were starting off the private beta. We identified, first of all, one site in Liverpool to go live with, and then we started, we went across the country to 30 different practices in 10 weeks. We looked at all of the feedback that we got from those 30 practices and all of the users. So uh, everything from NHS login to where a certain button was situated, all of that feedback was collated and we did I think somewhere in excess of 20 releases um, kind of over that period. So we did um, every piece of feedback that we got, we did some tweaking on the developer side and then we re-released the code. Um, we then went into national rollout and as of, I believe it was March this year, all four GP systems are online. Every GP practice in England is online. And um, so we started off with EMS and TPP, Vision and Microtest came slightly later. So that is the app for version one that was put into the marketplace. Next slide, please. I'm just going to take a sip of coffee. Talking at this speed is quite tricky. So NHS login. I do hope that you've all heard about NHS login. It's absolutely incredible to see. So up until when um, login was put into the marketplace, if somebody wanted online services, they would come to the practice reception, they would ask for GP online services and get a copy of the letter. That would have a very long linkage key or a passphrase on it, and it would then be taken home, invariably eaten by a dog, lost on the way home, another copy would need to be given out. People would then go home and they would then log on to be able to see their, their services. Now, we, it does have to be said that it was successful because there was quite a sizable number of uh, people that had GP online services before NHS login came around. But what login has done is it allows people 24 hours a day from the comfort of their own home to be able to go through and verify their identity with the NHS. So you'll be able to, using the NHS app, download the service, you take a photograph of your documentation, you take a video 
So prove that you are the person in that document and that you haven't just borrowed your mate's driver's license down the pub. It does marry the two up. And then some information, which we then check against PDS in the GP system. All of that comes together, you get your NHS login. So there is a human interaction on our side that checks that the identity is, is correct. But we are pushing more and more people now down the automation route. So we're able to actually look at the data points on a face. We also match those against the documentation. We check that against PDS. And if that is all in alignment, then it all goes forward. There is some question marks from people as to why they need to take the video step. Um, but that is, as I say, it's a liveness check just to make sure that you are the person that holds that documentation. So next slide, please. So here you can actually see the journey um, that you go through to, um, to get an NHS login. It isn't just for the NHS app. There are a number of other key services, including TPP Airmid now that you can use NHS login with. And the number of partners is growing um, kind of week on week. So NHS login did start as a sister program to the app. They're becoming, they're completely their own ecosphere now but we do share service management elements. So if you've got a query, you'll be able to send um, a question through to our service desk. And then on both sides of login and app, we will look at that and decide which side it sits in. We, before COVID, um, we had a two hour SLA, but we were generally servicing accounts within two, uh, 20 minutes. We did see a peak during COVID where the delay, it reached um, kind of, four days, but what we did was we recruited an internal army of ID checkers. There was 60 in the end that joined the login team, verifying identities 24 hours a day, we got the queue back down and we haven't seen that kind of peak again, or the delay. We've seen the peak, but we've not seen the delay. So what we are doing now is keeping a very, very close eye on any time that we start to see a queue building up, this uh, virtual army is stood up, we look at all the identities, we get the queue back down again, and then they're stood down and go back to the normal day job. So with the possibility of a second wave of COVID head heading towards us, we are again putting more and more people into this virtual army so that we can service requests as we need to. Next slide, please. So these are the key stats this, this is actually the, um, the stats that we have from the middle of August. Um, the September figures will be published very shortly. Uh, but as you can see, the number of repeat prescriptions has topped a million. Um, this is from the 1st of January 2019, so just over a year. And um, by far and away, the most popular part of the app is patient record views. Now, it does depend on whether the end user actually has full records access as to whether they will be able to see anything in patient record views. If they don't have full records access, then you will be able to see summary care information only. If you do have full records access, you'll see your test results, you'll see the consultation notes. And um, the number one question that we get through the service desk, no matter how much content we actually got on the app to say, you need to request this, um, is I can't see anything other than summary care information. So it is very much a clinical step and we would not seek to override that in any way, shape or form from a central NHS digital, NHS X point of view. 
it is still at the discretion of the practice as to whether somebody has full record views or not. So booking an appointment, you can see that we were doing very, very well, um, 222,000 booked appointments from um, 1st of January. But the number of booked appointments last month was down in, um, to only 11,000. We had, that's because of COVID, a lot of people have switched off appointment booking full stop within the practice. So those numbers did fall. With people opening up flu clinics again to be booked online, we're starting to see those numbers go back up. Um, repeat prescriptions, um, the numbers are growing week on week on the number of people processing their repeat prescriptions through the NHS app. Um, through user feedback, it is one of the most fed back items about the app that people find the um, process to be incredibly easy. And we've also got some new features that have come into repeat prescribing. I'll run you through those shortly. And the number of organ donation decisions, although it looks terrible that we've got a 26% drop on the number of recorded decisions, that is also that the law changed recently and it's now an opt-out model as opposed to opt-in, so less people are having to join the, the register. And actually that drop in decisions um, actually shows the number of people that are taking themselves off the list. So actually it's a really good thing that the numbers come down. Let me just take a deep breath. There we go, two seconds. Uh, next slide, please. So this is what we launched with the original version of the app. You'll be able to check your symptoms and get instant health advice. That's 111 online and also the health A to Z section of um, NHS.UK. We pull information from all of those sources. We have to book and view your appointments at the GP practice. So whatever is in the GP book to be booked online, you'll be able to resurface. So it could be that you surface 100% of your book, we will make that available. Um, we have recently made a change because the number of weeks that we were surfacing appointments to was eight. We've now moved that to 16 in light of flu clinics. So you'll be able to um, make up to 16 week appointments available. But we do suggest that if you want to have a look at your appointment book online, you do download the test patient and our service desk will be, will be able to issue you with a test patient for your practice so that you can see exactly what is available to, to your patients and when. Uh, order and uh, view your repeat prescriptions, be able to view your GP medical record if that's uh, been enabled by the practice and become an organ donor and see how the NHS uses your data. So this is the National Data Opt-out Service. Um, incredibly useful. And what we do is we give the end user all of the information on how the NHS uses their information and then gives the end user a choice as to whether to opt in or out. Um, we have seen a slow trickle of um, very low level numbers of people that are actually opting out of that service. And we have in certain circumstances seen people opting back in when after care.data, the practice took the decision to take everyone off. We're now starting to see people put themselves back on because they're happy with the changes that have been made to how information is stored. Next slide, please. So here you actually see the um, nominated pharmacy changes that have come in. So now, as long as the practice isn't a dispensing practice, um, you will be able to set and change your nominated pharmacy as many times as you like. So this is a change that we were going through anyway, but with COVID, we actually pushed it through um, because people's nominated pharmacies were 
closer to work or where they were not going to be over the time of lockdown. So we pushed that through. What you do is when you're going on to um, book a repeat prescription, you can then change your nominated pharmacy, the green box you can see there, and you uh, then get a screen that says any outstanding prescriptions might be at your original pharmacy. You can then do a search and find the nearest pharmacy or the pharmacy you want to go to and have your script sent there. So we've found that about a thousand people a month are currently, um, sorry, a thousand people a week are changing their nominations. We did see a spike in the number of people that were doing that um, originally, and then it's now going to, to more of a kind of business as usual trickle. Um, and we are making tweaks to that all the time. Next slide, please. So there is quite a lot of changes that we have made since we um, went live originally. And so we're now integrating with Patients Knows Best, so PHR service, and we're starting to onboard with more and more providers as we go through. The idea is that there is so much fantastic work being done out in the marketplace that what we're actually going to be doing is surfacing all of those services that are purchased with, um, by a practice or by a CCG level um, in through the NHS app. So we've also got um, eConsult from a, an online, online consultations provider point of view. And we're now working through a list of other providers. And depending on who, which service is with which practice, we are able to surface that at the local level. So we know a user is associated to a particular ODS code, which services are associated to that ODS code, and we surface those. So we are able to be very specific as to what is surfaced and what isn't. The changes to nominated pharmacy I've just run you through. We've also brought on online secure messaging. So there's two ways that this um, has come down. The first is that we will be able to use push messaging at an ODS code level from the NHS app. So if there is a particular message that we need to send out either nationally or locally, we'll be able to do so. And also we have um, brought online the IM1 service. So depending on whether you have messaging switched on or not in the practice, if it is switched on, then our users will be able to send you a message um, directly. If you don't have messaging switched on within the practice um, using the GP system, then we won't, if it's not online with you, it won't be surfaced to the end user. The other services that, uh, service that we've brought online recently is proxy and delegated access. So this is where you'll be able to transact on behalf of somebody that you are either caring for or you are a parent guardian for. Next slide, please. So we've made a lot of changes here. You can see there the coronavirus banner at the, the top of the page there. Um, and we've also added more links over the COVID period to uh, 111. So next slide, please. And um, so we've got a video here of how the integration with Patient Knows Best works. In the interests of time, what I'll do is I'll make the video available to you so you can get a run through of how our onboarded services will look. And it really does just look like a seamless part of the app as you go through. And it looks like it's, um, but there is content screens that say you are stepping out from the NHS app to patient is best, eConsult or any other provider that we bring on board. Next slide, please. 
and the messaging feature, you can see there second to the bottom, view your messages. Um, that again is a block that is only brought on once you have, um, if your messaging is on with the practice. So next slide, please. And um, you can see there on the right-hand side of the screen, ask your GP for advice. That's the box that's brought up online if you have an electronic consultations provider that we have within the app. So eConsult is now available nationally. And as I say, we are working through with another uh, number of other providers. And we should be in a position very shortly to announce the, the onboarding stream and who will be online next. Next slide, please. So proxy access, it's something that's been asked for for quite an, a period of time. It's taken a while to get ready because it's not something that you can do and get right over time. It has to be right. It has to work straight off. Um, it was also convincing the lawyers, the IG people and clinical risk and security people that this is actually the service that um, that. It works and it is secure and um, we've passed every test that's been thrown at it. So we are now very happy to announce that you'll be able to transact on somebody else's behalf. So next slide, please. So feedback is very, very key to everything that we do. We get some fantastic feedback and um, you can just see at the bottom there, Mint five stars is one of my favorite reviews. The one that corporate comms won't allow me to put on is easier to use than Toby Carvery app, um, which is, I think, probably my favorite piece of feedback of all time. Um, makes me want to roast dinner every time I think of it. And next slide, please. Accessibility is also something that's very, very key to something that we do. So we have screen readers um, that work with the app, and also we are working through how people with reduced, um, reduced. ability, oh, sorry, uh, reduced um, ability online are able to transact with the NHS and that nobody is left behind. We've made sure that the, even the color scheme that we use within the app is accessible. And we do go to um, testing regularly with an external body that checks how the NHS app is actually used by people that aren't able to use other services. So, there is a couple of other slides there, but um, in the interests of time, I think we should move over to um, the questions. And let me just move that screen back over there so I can see you. Um, and so, yes, yeah, throw your you, questions Dave. at me. Thank you, David. That was really useful. I mean, some of the questions I think were asked earlier on before as you were getting going, so they may have been answered, but we'll just rattle through some of them. So plans to lower the age for the app? As young people are so technical savvy, that would be really helpful. So you can use the app from 13 and above, um, but with the Gillick competency test, you do need to still go into the practice or speak to the practice between 13 and 16. Aged over 16, you can use NHS login from the off to, um, to prove your identity. Lovely. Um, there's a little bit of, feels like there's quite a lot of confusion for patients. There are so many choices now, so many apps, and there's NHS choices, and there's eConsult, and actually it can be quite overwhelming for patients to get their heads around it, and probably for us as NHS staff as well, I would think. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Now, uh, NHS.UK, they've done some fantastic work in actually putting online 
all of the different providers that are out into the marketplace. The one thing that we are saying from the NHS app point of view is we are free to use for both users and also for practices, um, but it is down to both the user preference and also the practice preference. So there might be something that you would rather use. Um, we are not about taking choice away. We are about enhancing choice. But a lot of the user feedback that we have is actually people trust the blue and the white lozenge for the NHS. So they will come along and dip their toe with the NHS app, see the, the world of possibilities. But then if they've got a long-term condition, they will go on and use a specific app that's good for them. So my COPD or something else like that um, to help manage their condition. So um, if people have questions, I would say try the NHS app first mm -hmm. because it's a good way to kind of get yourself online. And then using your NHS login, you can download all the other apps and try them. Okay, just one suggestion is sort of a matrix of all the things, sort of a tick box of this, this app can do this, this app can do this, and then you can choose. Um, but I guess that would have to be updated probably daily. <laughs> it would, absolutely. And um, I know that there, there was some talk of that, but I will find out if we are going to be uh, publishing a matrix or not. As you say, the maintenance of it would be incredible. Plus also there are some cons commercial considerations because if we put somebody in a row just above somebody else, does it then signify that there's a kind of commercial concern and everything else? So it's something that we would like to do, um, but it's not something that I can see on the horizon imminently. Okay. Um, and that's possibly why um, you're not allowed to advertise the NHS app on the list of online providers. Is that that's along the same lines, I guess? That was exactly on the same lines. There was yeah. also a discussion a few months ago that, in fact, the letter was going to be changed just to point to NHS.UK. The idea was that that can then be changed as many times as you want and you don't have to keep doing a release to update the letter. Um, that's not happened. And with COVID and with the flu season fast approaching, we are trying now to get the NHS app onto the letter um, just because it then appears with the list with everybody else. Um, but it was a concern from all of the other providers that were already there to say, actually, you're going to dominate the market. So we don't think you should be on the list. Now that we're more established, it's something that we are looking to do. Okay. And just one final question. That's all right, David. Um, you can be phaser competent below 13. So why not lower the age of the app? Um, so with the competency um, question, it was just the legal and IG teams that said 13 and over. Um, it is a question that we do keep being asked. Um, so if you lobby us hard enough, we will take it back and <laughs> I will get an answer to the question. But um, it was just, it was the Gillick competency. So yeah. Um, what I will do is I will take the question away. I will ask the lawyers again, see if it's changed. I doubt it has, but I'm always up for the question. It would be helpful. That would be, and th thank you so much, David. That's been fascinating. And thank you also to Kaylee for joining us, who's been answering lots of questions in the background, which has been really helpful. So thank you very Wonderful. much. Thank you, Kaylee. Brilliant. Yeah, thank you. And we will make these slides available on our website. And as I say, there will be a recorded webinar of this whole session today. So thank you very much, David and Kaylee. And um, yeah, thanks for joining us. Wonderful. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Um, Nigel, um, over to you now for a national update, please. Uh, thank you very much, Louise. Uh, welcome to everybody. Um, I've got a few things I want to go through. So first of all, um, probably the um, thing that we come to 
most um, sessions with flu. So hopefully most of the questions about PPE have now been sorted, particularly with the reduced need for what you need to wear when you're in the clinic setting. Um, also, we've recently published some advice about what you need to do with children when you're doing the flu vaccination for the two-year-olds. There's still a question about when you go into um, a care home and how much PPE you would need to wear uh, because it's not quite the same as a clinic session. And we're in the process of trying to clarify that with the national team. Um, some practices are questioning about the supply. Um, we know that you ordered the supplies as of what you needed last year. And again, as I've said before, for this year, the numbers you're going to need to vaccinate are increased, um, both in terms of the um, levels that you're being asked to uh, reach, the 75%, but also the new people that have been added to it. So later this month, we're expecting the Department of Health to give us more details about the additional vaccine that they've purchased and how that will be distributed. Um, they, th this will come out in November, December time. So we are asking practices or NHS England asking practices to continue with your vaccination programme as you had planned um, with the two sorts of vaccine used in the right age group. And then we hopefully will get greater clarity over the next couple of weeks as to where we go later in the autumn. I have raised the issue both with the flu uh, teams locally, but also nationally, that there is a real risk as we plough through the various groups that we use up all our vaccine. Um, and what we don't want is a hiatus then or a gap between when we get the national supplies. So there's got to be a really clear um, identified way by which practices are going to get the additional supplies. There is some communications going to go out locally over the next uh, three or four weeks and the national campaign will start in mid-October. I've had a chat to the hospitals in Hampshire and I'm sure the same is true elsewhere. The expectation was that hospitals would pick up some of the at-risk groups who they see on a regular basis. The hospitals haven't ordered significant additional vaccine in this year, so they have started vaccinating their own staff. But my expectation is there's not going to be a huge number of patients that they will have the capacity to vaccinate. Particular priorities are some of the really at-risk groups that are often missed, so the pregnant women uh, and also people with liver and renal problems. But um, if you see them in practice, then please vaccinate them. Um, I'd like to then move on to testing. Um, and we recognise over the last week, many practices have had difficulty or many patients have had difficulty accessing testing. And we've heard stories from each of the three counties of people in, in Wiltshire being asked to go to North Wales and people in Dorset being asked to go to Cornwall. And I mean, it is um, a complete nonsense. So the problem that the national team have had is with access to, to the, not the testing sites, because people, for example, in Dorset have gone to Creekmore and it's virtually empty and they've got testing capacity, but it's the testing, the processing of the testing so they're working currently at trying to increase that because certainly as we go into the winter months, we want really good access to the testing. Um, if we then go on this week, um, hopefully you'll have read my short email that I sent out that was reduced to 24 pages, um, which covered a number of things, but one of them was quaff and the contract. So the sort of headlines for that are there are um, the quaffing for practices protected this year. There's 310 points 
um, which are protected. The prescribing indicators remain in place uh, and uh, you will be asked to deliver on those. The quality uh, improvement activity, so this is the early diagnosis of cancer, still remains there, although it is somewhat altered. So particularly looking at screening, two-week waits and safety netting. And the learning disability, so the learning disability DES will fund you to do the medicals for people with learning disabilities, but it also is in the QI and in the impact fund for PCMs. So both of those have a significant focus because of their importance this year. The income for practices is protected, but this is basically focused on the practices looking at health inequalities and their vulnerable patients. So what are you being asked to do is prioritise those patients who will come from particular at-risk groups from COVID. So certain ethnic minority groups, the long-term condition, particularly those where patients have uh, poorly controlled long-term conditions, and also those um, who repeatedly don't attend annual reviews. So they're the people who, who largely have their long-term conditions badly managed, who, which uh, by the very nature of that puts them at significant greater risk of death from COVID. Um, there is a ask to focus on those in the lowest 20% of the socioeconomic groups. So again, we know that deprivation will mean that there are increased incidents of long-term conditions, of smoking, of poor diet and of early death, and particularly early death related to COVID. So practices will be asked over the next couple of months to sign up um, to deliver this, but the delivering is very much down to the plans you might have as a practice working with your PCNs to address some of those. There won't be absolute targets that you have to do X percent of X and Y, but what you are being asked is to look at these particular vulnerable groups. Um, Recognise that um, practices um, have reported and practice managers will know this all too well, that the workload has not only gone back to pre-COVID levels, but certainly is above the normal levels that you would expect at this time of year. And associated with that are the difficulty with total triage and getting people in, which I've talked about before, but also recognising that patients have now cottoned on to um, electronic cons consulting through e-consult. So many practices are reporting on a Monday, they might come into 50 plus e-consults where really what patients are asking for is an appointment or um, a discussion and, and they don't wish to hang on for a long period of time on the telephone. So there's currently an access review going on nationally, which should be published shortly, but recognise there is no easy solution for general practice in terms of trying to provide access to your patients when you've got to do total triage uh, and you may be using the phones a lot uh, for that. So um, just going back to the QOF, and also now there's been an announcement about appraisals restarting in October. In the LMC news update, which is slightly different from this, which is focused purely for practice managers, uh, the LMC news update is for practice managers, GPs, nurses, and anybody else, which is next week. I'm going to go through the QOF changes, um, the income protection, and also the um, appraisal restarting in much greater detail. Um, Louise, I'll stop there and um, let Carol and others uh, add to that. Thank you. Thanks, Nigel. Carol, over to you. I think you're on mute at the moment, Carol. I, I know. I'm, I'm getting good at that button now. Rubbish. Um, no, I actually was going to cover the new contract changes and quaff so 
given that we're going to do a big piece on that next week, I'm more than happy that we'll just move on to the slides and um, and I'll just wrap up a bit at the end if that's all right. So um, we'll go over to Lisa and Michelle. Okay, thank you, Carol. Um, next slide, please, Dawn. In fact, the next one as well, please. Okay, just so um, very quickly, I will run through the headlines. We put some links on the slides for you today. Um, so just a reminder, the updated specification for the seasonal flu and pneumodes has been published and is available. Um, there's a link there if you want to download it. Um, E-learning, the interactive flu immunisation modules have been updated for this flu season and you can access those. Um, an important reminder around CQRS for, for flu 2021, including the childhood seasonal influ influenza vaccination. You have until the 30th, the end of this month, to sign up to the programmes. So you do need to sign up on CQRS to claim against them. If you miss the cutoff, um, that means you, you won't be in included in the data extraction, which generates the payment. So just an important reminder there to make sure that you have signed up in time. Um, next slide, please, Dawn. Um, a quick update about the dispensing services quality scheme. The normal target is for a minimum of 10% of um, reviews of medication reviews of dispensing patients. That, given the current situation, has been reduced to a minimum of 7.5% this year. Um, practices asked to prioritise those patients that you feel are high risk and would benefit clinically the most. Um, EPS phase four, that will be automatically enabled for all TPP EMSWEB practices that use EPS, including dispensing practices from the 7th. Um, so that should now be live. Um, more details available on the slides if you want them. Um, Nigel covered PPE, so I won't go over that again. Um, and there's also some information on the gov.uk website around some of the long-term effects of COVID that are emerging. So that is uh, perhaps a, a link for information only. Um, next slide, please, Dawn. Um, shielded patients, and uh, we're beginning to get quite a few queries from practice around schools and queries around schools and letters. So Carol might want to come back to that at some point, but just a reminder that you are being asked if shielded, um, formerly shielded children haven't been reviewed, reviewed to review them they may well have been reviewed by secondary care but if they're not under the care of secondary care then they need to be reviewed there's some very good guidance on the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health which gives you lots of information around specific groups so a link there we'd recommend that you have a look at that next slide please and the last one really that I wanted to touch on was shingles vaccination so some patients who inevitably have been shielding during the lockdown um, may have become eligible for the routine shingles vaccination. A reminder there about the cohorts um, and that they remain eligible. Um, some will have missed it. So um, you can, if somebody has previously not been vaccinated for shingles and has turned 80 since 1st of February and would benefit from the vaccine, they should still be offered it. Um, and you can do that up until the 31st of December of this year. So just a little bit of information there. Um, and I think the final slide just covers some contract changes, which Nigel has covered. Um, so I think that's all that we wanted to put up and we'll put those slides on the FAQ. So if you want to access the link, you can do later. Okay, thanks, Louise.
Thanks, Lisa. I think if it's okay with you, we'll just go to the, there are a couple of queries that have come in, some questions oh, yeah. on. Sorry, Michelle, no, do, do, do join in. There was just one other thing that I wanted to highlight. So a practice within our area contacted us, I think, last week, as they had been contacted by their energy supplier and they wanted various bits of information. I think the reason they gave was an error on the computer and needed to match up the meter number um, with the account to ensure they've been charged correctly. I suspect they may have gone on to ask about bank details, etc. So when they contacted their energy supplier, they hadn't been in contact with that. There was no record of that contact. So it was just to warn practices, just to be mindful if you do get contacted, um, you know, always question why, which I know you do, but it was just to raise this issue that we've had with one of our practices. Yeah. And um, can we just go back as well to something Lisa mentioned about the children and schools? Because I think we are getting um, quite high amounts of uh, queries around you know, what do we say to parents? What are we saying to the schools? And I don't know if you want to join in here, Nigel, but but we, um, you're on leave this week. So we have discussed in your absence, um, putting together, um, Northern Ireland have done it, and it's a fabulous little template that just says, if it's this, this is who it affects, this is who it doesn't affect, this is what you do. And we thought it was just a, a little table that, we're, that I think Michelle's working on with Andy at the moment. But in the meantime, over to Nigel. When the mice are away, what is it? <laughs> or when the cat's away, the mice are out to play. Um, so I've got to keep an eye on them. Um, I think that's a good idea, Carol. I mean, we, we've got to stop every time something happens, go into your GP and get a letter, go to your practice. So the Northern Ireland thing uh, isn't being reproduced in um, England, as far as I'm aware, so we'll produce that. But I think we've got to, although, GPs try and be really helpful and will um, offer these um, things to patients. All that does is then drives up demand. I mean, there is no value whatsoever in me writing a note to say a snotty kid isn't a COVID risk. I can't say they aren't. They like, you've just got to use common sense in this. And um, I think the Northern Ireland thing is a really useful thing to, to make available to practices. But, you know, we also know some of the airlines started asking for notes for people who don't need to wear face masks and you know all these people need to take some responsibility themselves not try and shift it all on to general practice yeah sorry louise do you want to go back to your questions yeah that's fine yeah well we'll, we'll dart in and ask the questions so um quick one i may have missed this but when will the government provide extra vaccines as we will run out do we have to wait till november you do have to wait till november they, as I said earlier, they will tell you hopefully this month and then they, their aim is to release them in November, December, depending on what the demand is, to cover, first of all, the people in the at-risk groups who haven't been covered and then the 50 to 65-year-olds. Uh, and again, I'll reiterate that um, practices should have ordered sufficient to cover the under 65 and the over 65. But I know I've been in correspondence with one or two practices where they are concerned that because of the increased demand that they're going to run out of them before November. But again, that's one of my messages to the department is please don't sit on the vaccine so long that we get this hiatus and gap. If we're going to vaccinate the at-risk, we need to do it um, as soon as possible. The risk they're going to, or the problem they're going to have is how do they distribute the uh, additional vaccine they've got fairly? Because if they just do it on a first-come, first-served basis, that will... Um, disadvantaged some areas so again I think that's what's being discussed nationally how they work that through. 
Okay, thank you. Um, are we able to vaccinate all at-risk children, regardless of age, or just two to three-year-olds? Do they have no. to wait for the school programme? Yes, do not do, only do the two to three-year-olds. Those are the only ones you're commissioned to do. The rest will be delivered through schools. And I was on a flu call yesterday, and even if the school goes into lockdown for a short period of time, the school nurses will still be responsible for doing those. Okay. Um, Lisa, I think this is probably one for you. Our GPs are asking what questions are needed to be asked when contacting the parents with shielding school children. And you mentioned some useful guidance. I think you're on mute, Lisa, sorry. Sorry, Louise, just looking at the question. Um... It was just GPs are asking what questions they need to ask when contacting okay. the parents of shielding schools. And you mentioned the RCGP website. Yes, that, that, that guidance is quite useful in terms of the list of, of um, conditions of children that qualify to be shielded has been reduced and it covers the conditions that are still included in some detail. So it's quite specific. Mm -hmm. So I think, and I'll, I'll defer to Nigel, but I think that's probably a review of their, their notes and seeing whether they match across to the Royal College guidance, essentially. But Nigel, you might want to comment in more detail. No, I agree entirely with you. I think the number of children who are shielded should be very small, and most of those will be under the auspices of the hospital rather than their normal GP-type things, which would happen in the adults. Okay, thank you. Um, but testing, again, obviously this frustration that the access to testing is so difficult. Is there any way we can escalate testing for healthcare staff as a priority? Um, the simple answer is it's already been done. So we recognise um, and have, have, you know, when we go into the winter, the risk is that, you know, all the children will get um, temperatures and then we'll need to have lots of testing going on. Uh, I mean, in some, um, some areas, and this is within hospitals, the um, people are being tested on a weekly basis. So I'm not suggesting that will happen necessarily, but the testing capacity has got to be expanded and made um, readily available. When the drive-throughs were working well, it, it served the local population well, and the Amazon-type delivery collection uh, result within 24 hours, when it worked, worked really well. So they've got to step it up and make sure both those things work throughout the winter. Okay. The other thing on that, Louise, is actually if you do manage to book a test online, it does actually ask the question, are are you an essential key worker? So whether you get some sort of priority, I, I can't imagine they would ask that question. No, there would be no point with that. Okay. No. But, but to identify you're an essential key worker, you probably need a letter from your GP, don't you? Don't be facetious. Let's go down that rabbit hole, I don't think. Sorry, Mrs. Cusack, I'll slap my wrist. Save <laughs> um, you doing it. Homeschools children, who who's responsible for vaccinating them? And if it's asked, how do we claim for it? That is a really good question. I'll, I'll pose it to the school group. I still think that comes under the school nursing service because they have a broader responsibility for children. And I'm pleased to see Rachel's, uh, Michelle's nodding. Um, we'll pick that up at the flu group. I don't know if that's been asked, Michelle, is it? As, while we were on the webinar, I was emailing Tina Hayes we could find an answer she hasn't come back to me so we can she's on holiday okay or shielding <laughs> no, she's on holiday she wasn't at the meeting i was at yesterday um, has anyone considered whether today's announcement with the gathering of no more than six people will affect the flu clinics yes they have and no it doesn't so 
if you look, the reason for the six is aimed at the 17 to 24 year olds where the significant increase in COVID positive is coming from. So what the government is trying to do is to reduce the um, raves or the um, younger members of the population gathering in big groups and then spreading it um, to all their colleagues who then may spread it through um, the older people and then, then we'll get back to the problem we faced earlier in the year. So if you look at the full guidance, what it says is that education and health, those things are exempt from that. So you can carry on doing the flu clinic. But it is, it is a, probably a timely reminder. Um, I know some practices are um, giving people time slots to come in, but you do need to police those things so that you keep people social distancing and potentially, I mean, I would suggest anybody coming to a flu clinic should be wearing a face mask as well. Um, just back to at-risk children, presumably we also still need to do those age between 12 to 18 as they won't be done at school. Um, the 12 no, to 18 is at risk. Dawn's nodding. I think that's correct. I have to yeah. have a quick look. Yeah. I, are you, so the at-risk ones, so, so then, I mean, they've expanded the, so I haven't, I'm not close to the school vaccination programme, but they keep adding additional years to it. So are we saying that children up to the age of 12 are vaccinated through the school programme and then between 12 and 18, it's only those at risk who need to come to their GP? Yep. Okay. Yes. Lots of nods, that's good. Yeah. Um, we have a parent that does not want to wait for the school's programme. The they guidance... Have to wait. Okay, that's the end of that. There's, there's lots of people who always want to jump the system. So, sorry, Louise, very rude of me to jump in. Finish the question and then I'll come back. No, no, no that's fine. They just said the guidance says we can do the IMS this year, but the parent doesn't want to wait. That was all. So that's fine. No. I mean, it's the same as you. I, I'm sure practice will get the 50 to 65 year old worried well who will want to jump the system and come in. They can go to the pharmacy and pay for it, but there is a problem there that the pharmacies okay. may use up all their vaccine by people. Uh, the worried well going in and doing it so um you know if parents want um it to be early um they, i'm afraid they're gonna have to wait the, the sort of dilemma is that if if there is a significant flu outbreak and covid together the effects of both will be devastating but at the moment you know the levels of covid um versus the levels of flu the levels of flu in the southern hemisphere have been relatively low and probably as a result of people socially distancing and taking the COVID precautions. And one might hope this winter that will be the same. So, you know, I think it's a really challenging message for the NHS because we want the 30 million people, so twice as many as normal to be vaccinated, but we also don't want people to panic. I think the risk um, would remain relatively low so long as we don't get increased circulations of both diseases. Now, actually, flu doesn't usually... You know, we usually see the peak of flu after Christmas. So, you know, I think people just need to, to wait and practices, pharmacies will get on and do it as soon as they possibly can. But, you know, the practice managers on the call will know all too well to plan for the delivery of uh, the numbers that they've got to do is logistically impossible to do in three or four weeks or three Saturday morning flu clinics. I see the other thing which was remiss of me to say, but... Um, there is some additional money coming to help with the logistical support, but it won't be a significant amount for each um, practice that the resource that will be available to 
employ your workforce will be the item of service, the dispensing and the quaff stuff. And remember, quaff is now double points for flu in those areas where quaff is covered. But there is still more discussions going on nationally about the workforce and what workforce we can use and how we're going to access more to do that. And um, on top of that, um, there is also ongoing discussions about there's something called a COVID vaccine that might come. Um, now, when that comes, and if there is got, we've got to vaccinate 60 million people twice, that can't possibly be delivered through general practice or general practice alone. And there is a lot of work being, going on nationally and regionally, how we deliver a COVID vaccine um, mass uh, service. Um, so again, more information will come out in due course. But at the moment, I wouldn't worry about the COVID vaccine. I would simply focus on the flu vaccine. Okay, just final question. Um, if your children four to 18 at risk can be vaccinated in the practice according to the Arden's computer search? So um, they should be encouraged to attend school to have their vaccine. Um, however, the specification does enable practice to give these those children, the at-risk children, the flu vaccine. Lovely. Thank you, Michelle. Um, I think that's all the questions. I think, Carol, you've got something you wanted to add at the end. Yeah, um, uh, like Nigel said, we, we'll do a lot of the stuff next week um, on the LMC update. What I actually want to just talk to you about is, um, is actually very sad. Um, as lots of you know, we have, and some of you already are, on our practice manager caretaker list. Um, this is what we've done with practice managers who want to change jobs, who want a portfolio career, maybe going to retire. Um, uh, and they come in and they help other practices, um, you know, while other practice managers are on long-term sick or if they just need some help. Um, one of our very first practice manager caretakers was a lady called Claire Tuck. And Claire started her career as a deputy practice manager at a practice in Bournemouth. And um, her and her practice manager were both a very lively, spiky pair. I used to love going out there. And then she moved to be a practice manager in the Purbex as a single-handed practice. Um, after a few years, Claire wanted a, a bit of a change. And she came to the LMC and she said, what can I do? What, what, you know, I'd like to give something back. What can I do that's different? And she was actually our very, very first practice manager caretaker. Um, she was amazing she set the bar very high she had an amazing cv she was an absolute exceptional person always in huge demand very lively very motivated uh, always cheerful and it meant that i rarely got to place her because her, her reputation preceded her and um she was always in in high demand she did lots of roles with practices federations pcns um mentoring other practice managers and I used to meet with her fairly frequently for catch-ups, and, and, um, which were really enjoyable. Claire went through two very severe cancer scares. She beat the first in her own inimitable fashion, um, but despite a valiant fight, she lost her battle to the second last week at the ridiculously young age of 38. And I just felt I wanted to talk to you about her because... She was just an amazing person and she was always, always really helpful, always really motivated, even through her treatment and beyond. And I saw her, I think it was just before Christmas, in fact, 
just before Christmas, I went to see her at her home and I took her a present and a card addressed to her and her husband, Steve. Problem is, his name's Dave. Anybody watch Only Fools and Horses? I called him Dave. I always called him Dave. Um, Steve was the GP she used to work for in the Purbex. Anyway, she thought that was hilarious, wouldn't let me change it and thought it was, was fantastic. Um, Claire was an absolute diamond. Those of you, and I think you see the reason I'm saying this is lots and lots of you did actually know her. And um, she, she unfortunately, because of COVID, she won't get the funeral she deserves. I would imagine she would pack out any venue because of her popularity. I, I did speak to her about a week before she passed and um, I told her that I admired her, that I admired the way she was putting a fight up, that I admired her stoicism. Um, she told me I shouldn't lie to a dying lady. Uh, I told her I don't lie and she sent me the biggest laughing uh, emoji you've ever seen in your life and it was a spitting image of her. I have told her husband Dave that we were going to talk about her today. So if anybody did want to send any messages to Dave and the family, please put it in the chat box and we'll let him know. Um, he was absolutely amazed at, at the response he's had from colleagues and friends. Um, but, you know, he's been really, really uh, pleased at the responses he's been getting. I didn't want to upset anybody by this, but I also felt that, you know, she was far too special and helped too many people not to not to actually talk about her in this way. But I also want to add for you that the LMC tends to be a barometer of what's happening out there. And we have felt the uh, increase and the huge demand um, that's coming your way and coming our way and it's increasing. What I want to say to you is we have people like Claire available to talk to you. We're here to talk to you. Please Sometimes I know you're very isolated, you're very vulnerable. Please don't feel afraid. Come and talk to us, even if it's just for a rant or, you know, just for whatever purpose. Don't, don't be there alone. We've got people that can help you. That's all I really wanted to say. Take care, everybody. Thank you, Carol. That was a lovely tribute to Claire. And if anybody does have any messages they'd like us to pass on to her family, We'd be only too delighted to do it either in the chat box now or email us later. And as Carol said, you are all very valuable. And um, thank you very much for um, watching and listening to us today. So it'll be the LMC news update um, next week on the 17th. And then we'll be back in a couple of weeks time. Thank you very much, everybody. Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. 